and welcome to episode 14 of Champagne and Queso. Not episode 13 because as you'll notice, hotels don't have a 13th floor and... I don't think airplanes have a row 13. I've never noticed that. I'll let you know on Friday. Well, well, I'm never sitting on one again if there is one. Um, So we are just skipping episode 13. This is episode 14 where we're doing our fall wine preview with our dear friend um, who is the Solmonet. Somonier. Well, I'll figure out how to say that today in a minute. Um, over at Marsh House here in Nashville, Tennessee. But thanks for joining us. For our new listeners, Champagne and Queso is a lifestyle podcast, which is a mix of food, drink, fashion, music, and Champagne and Queso. That's right. We're here today with our friend Todd Johnston of Marsh House, who I met through Sweet Carla, and y'all know each other back from City Winery, right? City Winery days. We were on the opening team together. So now Todd is over at Marsh House, and we talk a lot about the Thompson Hotel and all of their entities, but we're excited to have you here today. Thank you. So thanks for being here. Glad to be here. For the first time ever. We've never gotten to talk to you yet on this show. (laughs) So we're looking forward to it. So our last episode, for those just joining us, was a travel episode with our friend Erin Ketty, also, oddly enough, from the Thompson Hotel. Um, She had just gotten back from Cuba, and our friend Becca Nelson, who had been over in Europe, and so we did a fun travel episode, so make sure you check that out, episode 12. So we're talking about fall wines today, and we have lots of questions for Todd about pairings and how you choose a good wine, everything from dinner parties to holidays to football to honky-tonking. We're going to tell you how to drink as classy as possible. If that's possible when you're honky-tonking, we'll figure that out to be determined. Noodle on that. (laughs) Noodle on that. (laughs) Well, let's start with your background a little bit. I think it's really interesting what you do, and I was always fascinated by your knowledge of wines and different wines and just that whole process. So when did you you realize that you had more than just a casual interest in wine? Um, so I've been around wine for a lot of my life in the sense that younger and growing up, all my parents would drink were wine. And finally, when I was old enough, I'd have, have a little sip and I was like, Ew, it's so gross. <laughs> once I started drinking with friends and on my own, it was still wine. And then I started working in restaurants and more fine dining restaurants. And I started getting a little bit more wine focused. I, I worked at in Chattanooga at a fine dining restaurant called Easy Bistro. And they have a very kind of eclectic, more new world list that was smaller, but they were very wine driven and wine focused. I love when you use that term, wine focused. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, we're wine focused. Very in, focused on it. But in a different Same. way, I think. <laughs> Not necessarily like a responsible career kind of way. And like, it's all I can think about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> When I started working there, I thought I knew a bunch about wine, and then I found out that I knew nothing. We did very intense wine classes and studied about wine. We were expected to know about every wine on the wine list, which the wine list was never over 200 bottles, but I mean, it was... it was That's a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for a college student, I felt like it was a lot. Like and the two that I know, red and white. <laughs> Those are the kind <laughs> of wines I know about. As you should, yeah. I wanted to, again, be more wine-focused, so um, I decided to move back to Nashville. um, We're so glad you did. Yeah, me too. Um, And when I moved back, it was a completely different city than when I had left it. City Winery was opening right when I moved back, and I started there as the um, lead sommelier. And I 
continued and I studied with the master, uh, Court of Master Sommeliers, probably the most recognized certification. Um, there's four different levels, which we can talk about later. And then I left that job to open the Thompson. Um, so I am the assistant general manager there as well as one of the sommeliers. And it's one of our favorite places. So cheers to the Thompson. Cheers to the because Thompson. We, I think Thompson. we talk about it every episode. Every episode. <laughs> but we spend really a lot of time on it. <laughs> we kind I mean, of love we're, it. We're, we're lucky that we have some very good friends, like Todd, mm-hmm. who, who are a part of that, uh, who tell the awesome restaurants there. So yeah. we love do it. tend to spend a lot of time there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to talk real quick. Just run us through quickly the mm-hmm. um, levels of sommelier or just yeah. And, yeah, you know sure. being in the wine industry. And then I want to hop into some different periods and holidays, et cetera. Yeah. So there's a lot of different certifications you can get as a SOM. One of the most recognized is the Court of Master Sommeliers, which I had mentioned, which there's four levels. Um, the first level is intro, introductory. It's a, a course, and then it ends with, a exam. The next level is... Do you have to beat any certain qualification to do that? Yeah, for sure. Um, So what I tell people that are interested in... Can Carla and I go? I mean, that's really the question you're asking, (laughs) Todd. Are we allowed to go? And and I always say yes. I I think if you have a good base knowledge of wine and you really pay attention during the course and study and then... Lindsay's going to cheat off me, Todd. I can already <laughs> see the little well, cutter face. You lost me at pay attention. <laughs> there's actually a 90% pass rate, so it's... Uh, You're good. I, I say that with a kind of... I feel like I'm <laughs> studying right now drinking this nice bottle of you bubbles. Are, so. Yeah, and that's, that's what I tell a lot of people as well, because there's other certifications you can get that you can literally just read a book and then take the test and you'll be good. But with the court... Of master sommeliers, they really promote tasting and learning through experiencing the wines. They announce the calendar of classes, whether it's intro, cert, uh, certified, advanced, or master, at the beginning of each year, and then they kind of introduce random classes as they are available um, throughout, but they usually fill it pretty quickly. And there, there's a waiting list situation. So you just gave us the four levels then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Obviously, master being the craziest. How many master psalms are there? I mean, it's a small number, yeah. right? Oh, like... yeah. It's arguably the hardest test out there. They've done comparisons between that and the test to become a doctor. And it's, oh my um, gosh. it's, it's comparable. Master sommeliers, um, level four. There's a little over 200, and they've been doing it since the 60s. So Wow. So yeah. that's internationally. There's yeah. only yeah. around 200. Yeah. Plus, I mean, it's like, I would assume, a way of life, right? Yeah. I mean, it's oh, yeah, not it like is. you go to work. And... Yeah. So, so certified is level two. Um, that's when they, um, I, I guess, officially call you sommelier, um, per the Court of Master Sommeliers. But after that, it's level three, which is advanced. Advanced is when it jumps from being, you know, kind of difficult to really, really hard. I think the statistic is only 2% of people pass advanced on their first go-round. Wow. Um, Yeah, so level three is when it actually gets really hard and it's a life decision. 
I have a friend that actually... It's when you change your Facebook status. Yeah. <laughs> That's when you delete your Facebook. <laughs> right, right. You don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah, you don't have time for that. In a relationship with my wine degree. Exactly. You go home, drink wine, do flashcards. I have a friend like that, and he actually passed his advance on the first try. And now he's casually working at the number one restaurant in the world. Which is? Which is um, 11th Madison Park in New York, yeah. So his life is go to work, come home, and study. Oh, yeah. Blind tasting groups multiple times in a week. Can you be married? I feel like it's like a priest in the wine business where your life is... Oh, yeah. I don't even know. Like how you would have any any time to do anything. It stresses me out. All right. We're talking today with Todd Johnston of Marsh House. He's the... Salmonier, an assistant general manager at the Thompson Hotel, and um, he knows a lot about wine, and I'm not saying that's why we're his friend, but it's, uh, it certainly helps. <laughs> it helps. <laughs> just saying. Um, so we are, it is fall now, finally, like literally mm-hmm. just happening in Nashville. So we want to talk about fall wines, and Carla and I, have, we have like our things in our head that we like, but um, we want to obviously learn a little bit more. So what would be maybe a fun wine to pair with um, your trick-or-treat candy? Mm-mm. So we can go lots of different directions depending on whether you want red or white. But personally, I think um, maybe some Beaujolais would be absolutely delicious with your Halloween candy. I just like saying Beaujolais. Beaujolais. So French. Beaujolais. Beaujolais. Pretty. Your face looks cool when you do it too. Well, and I guess really this is it. I mean, obviously Halloween candy is very specific, but like to go with your desserts and chocolate and treats as, sure. as such. So, yeah. so Beaujolais it is. Beaujolais, yeah. Which is what exactly? <laughs> so Beaujolais is a region in France. It's actually part of Burgundy, but not part of Burgundy proper. So Burgundy, I feel like a lot of people are familiar with the actual term Burgundy. Um, Burgundy isn't always red. Um, Burgundy is a place that produces red and white wine. Did not know that. Yeah, but Burgundy encompasses kind of three main regions. One being Chablis, the main being Burgundy proper, and then the most southern part would be Beaujolais. So Beaujolais is about 97% red wine in production um, and 3% white wine. The 3% white wine is Chardonnay, but that's, you know, distant in between all of the red production. And Does that mean it's rare to find one of those 3% Chardonnays it made? Is, it is, yeah. Because not all of the Beaujolais producers produce a white wine. And the few that do don't produce a lot of it. But what I mean when I say Beaujolais with Halloween candy would be the the red part of it. That is Gamay. So Gamay is the grape varietal that they use in producing red wine. It is a thin-skinned grape, very similar in body and a lot of characteristics as Pinot Noir. It, It has a lot of its own nuances and kind of um, expressions that I think are are super cool. Um, And I think it's one of those regions that are producing wine that is really actually very value-driven. You can find um, a very high quality and delicious wine for under 50 bucks. if, If you find a Beaujolais over $30, I think it's, it's very rare. Um, a, a lot of Beaujolais being produced and available here 
is going to be $30 and under. So if I'm going to go into the wine store, I say I'm looking for a Beaujolais Gamay. Gamay? So, I mean? so that's kind of um, repetitive. Oh, by it is. Saying okay. Beaujolais Gamay. Okay. Beaujolais is Gamay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thank um, you. Yeah. Saving me embarrassment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because I like to go in the wine store and pretend like I know everything (laughs) and then just like grab something random. I've just started asking questions and it's obviously changing my life because I'm learning more. (laughs) Yeah, no. So Beaujolais has uh, a few different classifications. A lot of people that are familiar with Beaujolais see it as something that is not great and super cheap and fruity and bubblegummy and available around Thanksgiving and this time of year and they don't think of it as quality. So that has to do with the classifications of Beaujolais. So Beaujolais, Beaujolais, the bottom classification, the most entry level is Beaujolais Nouveau. Beaujolais Nouveau is the first red wine that's available and bottled um, after harvest. So it comes out around Thanksgiving time and it's just red wine that's made to be drank Right then. Characteristically in style, it's it has a lot of banana, tutti fruity, very kind of bubblegum, a lot of fruit, not much depth, but that's only the entry level. So Beaujolais, which is kind of one step up, is the classification meaning that the grape source to make this wine can be from all over Beaujolais, but they're blended and they are put together and made in a style depending on the producer and then bottled and sold. The next step would be Beaujolais Village. So this means that this bottle of wine, the grapes made for this bottle, were sourced from one village in Beaujolais. So it's kind of a little bit more focused in flavor and style and expression. It has a little bit more depth depending on what the winemaker producer wanted and it may be a little bit more expensive. Cru Beaujolais is kind of the top tier, but still very affordable. There's 10 Cru Beaujolais sites. A Cru is essentially a vineyard. So if you are drinking a Cru Beaujolais that's coming from one of the 10 Cru's in that area, um, it's gonna have the name of the Cru on, on the label. One of the more common or commonly found cruise is Morgon, um, M-O-R-G-O-N. Um, Which is what happens when we drink the bottles. More yeah. is gone. More. Morgon. Morgon. Continually more gone. <laughs> uh, same, yeah. Same, same. Same, same. Yeah, so Morgon, it would just say Beaujolais, Morgon. Bruy, Cote de Bruy, Julianas, Fleury, these are all... These are the vineyards? Yes. Of crew. These are all of the crew vineyards in Beaujolais. Morgon is typically known for its structure, its kind of richer fruits, its texture. Bruy is known for its earthy quality, its a little bit more mineral tones. Um, Fleury is actually known for its florality and brightness. So when I'm tasting staff on wine or if I'm doing a wine class or tasting a wine dinner then I always uh, talk about the five S's of, of tasting. Sight is the first one. You can tell different things from looking at the wine in the glass. The color, the rim variation which means 
when you turn it on its side, the color from the outside rim to the color to the core of the wine, how, how different is that color? The, the legs, so when you swirl the wine, um, how, how is it dropping in the glass? Or, or, um, that can kind of denote um, sugar content or alcohol content or just viscosity. Um, how big do the legs have to be so I know it's got the most alcohol in it? <laughs> thick legs. Thick legs. Okay. <laughs> got it. But you never know because sugar can also mean thick legs. So. All right. Yeah. I have thick legs, and there's a lot of alcohol inside of me. So I get it. Okay. I know how to not. Yeah, that's not. Um, All right, Kathy Lee. Yeah, and then <laughs> the next S is smell. So, so you smell the wine. This is where you get a lot of crazy characteristics. I mean, and sometimes it hits you like a ton of bricks. You smell sure. it, and you're yeah. like green pepper. Yeah, I mean, no, it's absolutely. like yeah. weird, you know, or whatever the yeah. berry note is. Yeah. Like, you, but then other times it's like mm. yeah. And I've I've done sensory tastings with people before where there's actually like lemon and thyme and all these different things in front of you that you can smell and they pick up this time. Do you actually smell what you just smelled in that time in the wine glass? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, interesting. which is fun. Uh, if you are just joining us, this is episode 14 of Champagne and Queso. We're here with Todd Johnston, who is the sommelier uh, Marsh House and assistant general manager over at Thompson, uh, the Thompson Hotel here in Nashville, Tennessee. So next, let's talk about, because we are approaching Thanksgiving, and we always, Carla and I and our families always spend Thanksgiving together, and I always get intimidated sometimes to buy those nice, good wines. I don't know why I won't spend the good money on myself, but like buy those good wines because I want to go and buy several right before I'm hosting something, but I'm like, I still don't want to walk out with this crazy bill. So I feel like I'm going to make it a goal right now leading up to Thanksgiving to like maybe every other week start purchasing good bottles so that I have my Thanksgiving yeah. Yeah, stash. Yeah. And the other thing is that we're power drinkers well, that's, on that's Thanksgiving. Too. So no, it's sure. kind of too. like, you know, what can we buy a case of mm -hmm. that is not going to break the bank mm -hmm. and it's going to pair well with everything. Mm -hmm. We have a traditional yeah. Thanksgiving, turkey mm -hmm. stuffing, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes. But we start, we also do a lot of appetizers because our day runs from like noon till midnight. Yeah. So, yeah. so work with me. Oh yeah, I mean, you it's should, a marathon. You see my family Thanksgiving. There's, <laughs> there's the, the food, and then there's the wine table. It's, it's full. So I guess walk us through your Thanksgiving. Yeah, if that looks like for that. sure. So for me, it's very much about strategic planning because my family and myself are power drinkers, like you. But I like to drink nice wine. I'm never gonna be snobby about it. Like I'll drink anything. But if you have your choice. But if I, if I have my choice, if I'm bringing my own wine, then I'm going to bring something good. But if I'm going hard, it's not like I'm going to taste that wine that I spent a lot of money on the same as the first one I drank that night. I actually drink mostly white. I rarely drink red wine. Which is also interesting to me mm -hmm. because in my head, I think that red wine is like the fancy but it, yeah. it's not yeah, just sure. because too i drink sauvignon blanc and yeah. but i don't i don't drink it because i like it mm -hmm. i just kind of <laughs> drink honestly i just drink because i drink it so yeah. tell me how to drink white wine better as well but. yeah but but really i think people just have this image of white wine as being that simple sweet crushable easy thing 
and then red wine has all of the complexities and structure, but really it's not. White wine can be just as complex, and I will drink anything that is well-made and that intrigues me. However, when people ask what my favorite is, I it's my favorite grape varietal is Riesling. Well, a little birdie <laughs> told us that about you. So we have some, and specifically that you like dry Riesling. Yeah. And it's about time to open another bottle, so thank you for finally bringing it up. Yeah, sorry. Riesling is actually one of the oldest grape varietals that has such an almost incomparable versatility. But once Riesling came to the United States, it had this image of being sweet, um, which in a lot of cases it is. So we brought this guy... What is is this a decent bottle that I brought? Because yeah. it says bone dry. I was it. laughing because I said because I, I was about to ask oh, yeah. Todd, is there a way to look at the label and know if it's going to be drier or sweeter? Yeah. And I and I rolled the bottle over and it literally says bone dry yeah. so, on the yeah. back label. So, so that is something that has been developed in the old world, especially this whole scale. They'll, they'll actually physically have a scale on the back label that has bone dry to very sweet. So dry is one of those terms that, again, has this really kind of diverse meaning. Dry to some people means the drying sensation that you get on your palate when you drink the wine, which typically happens with red wines because it's tannins. Tannins are these proteins um, that you find in the skin of grapes that stick around in the wine, in the bottle, that kind of dry out your mouth. If, if, uh, if you want to feel what tannins are like, and you probably are familiar with it, if you go to the grocery store and just get regular grocery store grapes, chew on the grape, and then when there's nothing but the skin left, you feel this kind of texture on your tongue and this drying sensation in your mouth. That's tannins. Dry, people think dry means that feeling in your mouth. But dry, the technical term dry is the lack of residual sugar in a wine. So that's what bone dry means. When you say bone dry in a wine, that essentially means that there is zero residual sugar in the wine. I know you've told me before to get the, tell me how to say that, Alsace. Alsace, yeah. Which is a region, correct? Yes, yeah. So like I said, Riesling grows all over the world and depending on where it's coming from, it can be a completely different expression. Riesling can be light, dry, refreshing, crushable, easy drinking, or it can be sweet and big and round, or it can be a combination of the two. Alsace being a northern French region, the wine coming out of here is typically going to be on the drier side, whereas Riesling from Germany is more common to be on the sweeter side. This feels like in my in my very layman terms taste to me like a flat version of a champagne of a dry champagne yes which i like dry champagne so one of our questions that we want to bring up to you is we watch football a lot and our husbands are big into football and so like what do we but neither carla nor i are beer drinkers Mm -hmm. but we are bubble and wine drinkers but we're not really drinking red wine during football i would crush some reason during some football or during a casual tuesday (laughs) on a casual tuesday or whatever Alright, yeah. so now we know. So yeah. when we're watching football, Carla, we're drinking 
a dry Riesling from Alsace. Got it. Yeah. And, Noted. And bubbles. The sad thing about bubbles is that people think it's only for occasions and celebratory. Yeah, we got past that real quick yeah. <laughs> in our circle of friends. Like, well, we got way past that. Oh, but you're right. I mean, I used to think that until recently. It's like my birthday or it's a celebration yeah. or, you know, New Year's Eve. And that's the only time we had champagne. And mm-hmm. and I guess um, another question is between rosé becoming such a niche and bubbles and everyone saying yeah. these, like, kitschy terms... Why, I guess, all of a sudden has it come up? I don't know if that's a... Because uh, millennials are coining rosé all day, or, like, sure. why that's happening. I but. think it's part of the millennial culture, not necessarily having to do with wine, but wine is being brought into that generation, and mm-hmm. the reaction that the millennials are having to it is very millennial of them. Yeah. So they, they, they want to be cool and eclectic. They want to be on the nerdy side of wine. So they want what's cool and what's um, hip with the people that actually know about wine. So if sommeliers are saying that dry rosé is in, then the millennials are going to drink dry rosé. Hmm. Well, can you, I guess on that, on that past note, can you walk us through the affordable wine mm-hmm. options and sure. like... Yeah to say value wine but kind of so i think the biggest issue with that is that people drink with they're familiar with we all fall into that trap unless Mm -hmm. we're lucky enough to have friends like you who are in the industry who can naturally expand our palates and our Mm -hmm. horizons in terms of different kinds of wines for sure you're gonna find more value in things that you don't know people now are are drinking especially domestically they're drinking california wine or new world wine um argentina or whatever with great varietals that they're familiar with whether it's malbec cabernet sauvignon merlot pinot grigio sauvignon blanc chardonnay and that's the big ones um but i think if you drink old world with something that is kind of less familiar then you're probably going to get a little bit more value out of that wine. Does Old World Uh, refer to the grape or the region? Old World is a very kind of all-encompassing term, but geographically, it basically just means European wines, where a lot of wine has kind of originated. Everything else is New World. So California... Anywhere in the United States, South America, South Africa, Australia, all New World. Um, and the difference between the two is kind of more based on style. And this is very broadly speaking. Old World wine is more focused on expressing what the great varietals are naturally wanting to express in a wine. Um, so they express terroir. Terroir is a term that means that it it expresses where that wine comes from. So what, whether it's the soil, the earth, or the, the plants and fruits and herbs that grow around the wine, or the food that people eat in that region. And New World wine is a little bit more fruit forward. It's more manipulated. It's what the winemaker wants it to taste like rather than what the grape varietals are naturally going to express, which isn't a bad thing. Um, By adding oak to a a certain wine, it's just adding expression and adding flavor, adding texture. 
Um, but generally speaking, New World wines are a little bit more manipulated. All right. Welcome. <laughs> We're Champagne and Queso. This is episode 14, which is our fall wine preview. And so we've covered Halloween. We've covered Thanksgiving. Now, after that, obviously, we have Christmas and New Year's. So if we're doing bubbles, I know we have champagne and rosé that we talk about, rosé all day. So can you walk us quickly through what that looks like? Because some people think champagne is any kind of bubble, but it's not. So, yeah, that's so very true. And Marsh House, we actually have three sparklings by the glass. One is a sparkling wine from southern France. One is a sparkling rosé from the Loire Valley. And one and is... And it is amazing. So good. <laughs> yes. It's um, our go-to. Um, <laughs> like, it should be named, renamed the Champagne yeah. and Queso. Maybe <laughs> 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 we need, like, a stamp. We need a stamp, stamp. of approval. <laughs> um, and the last one is actually a true champagne. So I use the word true champagne a lot just because... A lot of people ask for a champagne by the glass, and I never know if they mean champagne, champagne, as in true champagne, or they mean just a sparkling wine. Oftentimes, when people ask that question, I I walk through what we have by the glass. I say, yeah, we have this sparkling wine from southern France, light, bright, absolutely delicious, made in the same method as champagne. And then we actually have a true champagne. But true champagne is what? True champagne is, by definition, wine coming from Champagne in France. So Champagne is a very small northern region. Well, we're clearly retiring to. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny that Champagne... We'll all be there together. um, Yeah. Very close in competition with Burgundy is some of the most expensive real estate in the world. Oh, okay. So never mind. I mean, I hope we have some money. So <laughs> by then we will. Yeah. Hey, Champagne Queso. <laughs> yeah. So Champagne has to be from this region in France, and has to be made in the traditional method, which is method Champenois, which was actually invented in Champagne. So it is a method of making sparkling wine um, by going through a step-by-step process. So when you're a kid, you're like, I don't need to know about this science. You really need to know about this science. Because, I mean, that's really what all this is. This method of making sparkling wine is a little bit more tedious. It's more strenuous. It's more costly. So... If you're making really cheap sparkling wine, then you don't want to make it with this method. Um, But it's the most traditional method. It's what makes champagne champagne. So champagne, to be classified as such, has to be made up of the three grape varietals that are known in that region, which are Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, and Chardonnay. Champagne isn't just champagne. Exactly. So it's sparkling wine. Sparkling wine, depending on where it's coming from. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. Right, so so Italian sparkling wine is typically Prosecco? Yeah, so there's two major types of sparkling wine coming from Italy. 
the most common is Prosecco. Prosecco is not made in the traditional method or method Champenois. Um, it is made in the Charmat method, which essentially means that instead of the second fermentation being in the bottle, it's made in a tank, and then they put it in a bottle. So it's a little bit more cost efficient. Um, the second main sparkling wine that's coming from Italy is Francia Corda. Francia Corda is made in Method Champenois and is made in the same style as Champagne. Um, it's not as readily available in the market. I was going to say, I don't know if yeah. I've ever had that. I think I've only ever, or, or seen it. I yeah. think I've really only ever seen Prosecco. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never it's, even it's, heard of it. It's just a, a region in Italy um, that produces sparkling wine, and it's kind of the Champagne of Italy. Maybe that's maybe we need a trip there. We're like the champagne <laughs> of quesos. Kind of like <laughs> we might be. Yeah. And then we tend to drink in and we tend to drink a lot of cava yeah. around here at, at champagne and queso. We, we well, it's, to, it's, it's the easiest to saber. Yeah, it sabers really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So cava is a, a region and style in Spain, and that's kind of the main sparkling wine coming out of Spain. They um, don't necessarily have the aging restrictions that Champagne has, so they can kind of produce it a lot faster and release it a little bit more regularly. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of times, Cava is going to be more inexpensive than Champagne. However, they have some really expensive Cavas out there. Yeah, I actually um, prefer Cava to Prosecco. Like, if I have I to, yeah, I sure. prefer the Cava to Prosecco. Same. Maybe that's why. But yeah, um, it is made in that same method so it's a little rounder and it has a little bit richer complexity to it so all right so we are here with todd johnston um who is the sommelier for marsh house at the thompson hotel he is also the assistant general manager over there one of our favorite spots in nashville if you're traveling to nashville you need to stay there you need to drink coffee there then you need to have dinner there then you need to move to the roof and have cocktails there i mean you could literally spend all day there yeah. you don't ever need to leave there no, that's what's really so don't. amazing no no. And it's the most beautiful place. And like, sometimes we don't ever leave there. This is true. Um, <laughs> they may ask us to leave sometimes. So. That has happened. Time to go home. Happened to me last week. Anywho. <laughs> so, date night, what is your favorite meal, and what would you pair with that? You know, I really like Thai food. I eat a lot of Thai food because I get the most cravings of Thai food. The closest to my house, and the best, I think, in town is Peter's Sushi and Thai. And, I like and where is thai. that now? Are you, is that it's, in East Nashville? It's actually in Brentwood. Oh, okay. So I live in South Nashville, which is right north of North Brentwood. Okay. The north. I live in Brentwood. South Nashville, yeah. which is just south of North Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So Peter's is in Brentwood, and I've been going to Peter's for years um i'm from shout nashville. out yeah. Ty. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm from nashville and i've followed him from when he was a sushi chef at another restaurant before he owned his own place but i have gone to him for three years and he is the best and pad thai solid spicy mm. i drink a alsatian riesling with some age on it because that will cut the heat. Yes, absolutely. So, all right, um, smarty pants. Yeah, <laughs> Look at you. exactly. So, so there's a lot of rules to um, pairing food and wine. Sweet and spicy 
is a rule to go by. Either way? Uh, yeah. Vice versa? Either okay. way. Acid with fat. So really bright, mm. crisp wine with a really fatty... Steak. Um, yeah. With a really bacon. fatty steak or bacon, yeah. Something <laughs> like really buttery fish dish or something. Okay. Wait, so then an example of sweet and spicy would be... Spicy Thai with a slightly sweet Riesling. Or just a fruit-forward um, dry white. Okay. Or it can even be red, you know? Okay. Lighter. I would, I would suggest a lighter body. Or you can do, like, same-same, kind of um, light and bright with light and bright, like a salad with a, um, with a Sauvignon Blanc. Or a, okay. you can do spicy with spicy, or you can do fatty with fatty. Those are some of some of the kind of pairing rules that you have, that you may or may not want to live by. What's a fatty wine? If I'm doing a fatty food, um, you know, because I think I already love that. And yeah. I'm like, like <laughs> I know I'm gonna be having I'm the fatty food. So what's the fatty? Like wine? I want a fatty um, wine. <laughs> big California oak Chardonnay. And what am I eating? That like a buttery fish. A buttery or a pasta, like a buttery pasta. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, mm, okay. Yeah, so, what are we going to eat? <laughs> yeah, right? I'm about so to go to the grocery tired. store and the wine store. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here's my question. So, I'm the honky-tonk queen. Yeah. I get a lot of people coming in town, like, to go out and go honky-tonking. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm normally down there singing. And I have a lot of women that come down there, and they are wine drinkers. Mm. What are they going to drink downtown? You're obviously not ordering a, a nice wine downtown in Nashville. So, um, my... Personal answer to that would be... Don't go downtown. Don't go downtown. Or drink beer. Or get drunk before you go. Yeah, exactly. Or (laughs) you're not drinking wine. I would suggest a beer or a tequila soda. Tequila soda is easy, refreshing, Mm low-cal. You know, it's... um, Put a bunch of lime. It'll be effervescent. I never think about doing tequila and soda, which... I mean, yeah. my husband drinks a lot of tequila, as yeah. you know. We That's have just quite the library of tequila at our home. Yeah. But, I mean... Or tequila and tonic, if you want a little extra flavor, you know? But there are some, you know, and I'm not... Neither of us are really big beer drinkers. Yeah. And, but, I mean, I think when you're on Broadway, like, at this point, you can always find... If there's things... You can always find Stiegel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a beer, and I say that with air quotes, because it's effervescent and fresh maybe maybe something like that if if once you're down on broadway you don't want like a normal beer well the good news is we've learned a lot so we are able to drink even more now with our new fun facts i'm feeling more qualified as you should be (laughs) or less qualified after the bottles of wine you drank that being said um real quickly so i went in to buy our cheese and salami for tonight and um I went to Coco's Italian restaurant, one of our favorite places up the street, and told her that I was buying some things because we were going to record our podcast tonight. She said, oh, I love that. You guys need to record from here one night. She's like, but can you please rename it and call it Beer and Meatballs? And I was like, no, I mean, we're we're called Champagne and Queso, so don't rename us. But I love that she was trying to, like, really do it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, but this is what we're called. And she said, I bet you guys are like, are you like Kathy Lee? (laughs) <laughs> are you like Kathy Lee Gifford? I'm like, we're that's exactly that's what we're exactly, like. Yeah. And I thought that I was Hoda. But you're Hoda uh-huh. and I'm Kathy Lee? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, maybe we can be, I mean, if we can be Peroni and Paisan, I mean, I'm oh, good with good. that. 
I like Avi that. Paisan, clearly. Obviously. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> Thank you to our sweet, sweet love, Todd Johnston. Love you. Thank you for doing this. Oh, Thanks so for fun. doing this. I'm glad to. I've learned a lot, and now I can continue to drink Good. more and more because yeah. I know more. Now, now you are allowed to drink more. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Guys, <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening to Champagne and Queso. We're almost approaching our one year anniversary now. Yeah, our Thanksgiving was our first show. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Thanks, thanks y'all for listening. For it is. You're like the anniversary <laughs> show. Congrats, guys. Yeah. What are we going to do for our anniversary? I don't know. I mean, well, I assume you're taking me on a trip. Champagne. <laughs> <laughs> Let's We're go to drink. Champagne, France. Done. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're coming with. I'll come. You can find us everywhere on social media at Champagne and Queso on Facebook and Instagram, and we're at Champs and Queso on Twitter. And subscribe to us for free on iTunes and anywhere you can find podcasts at Champagne and Queso. Cheers! 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 Thanks so much for listening, and may your glasses always be full of Champagne and Queso. It's up to